0: Hello everyone, my name is Zachary Rodier and welcome to episode 10 of the Quarantine Hockey HQ Podcast. We have a great show and interview today. Uh, We have our first former NHL player, Shane Knighty, uh, who played for multiple NHL teams and uh, won the Stanley Cup with the Boston Bruins in 2011. Um... He is now the color commentator for The Vegas Golden Knights on TV. And it was great to talk to him about uh, some pranks with the TV broadcast, but also during his time in the NHL. And then after the interview, uh, we get to talk about some interesting NHL news, Uh, the crazy uh, NHL draft lottery that happened this past Friday. Uh, We'll talk about that and we'll also talk about the Hockey Hall of Fame inductions and We'll talk about the Hub Cities a little bit. Uh, We were expecting more news this week, uh, but just like some things in the NHL, uh, a little slow right now, but uh, hopefully we'll get that news next week. Uh, But anyways, let's get you right into that interview with Shane Knighty. Enjoy. Today, the Quarantine Hockey HQ podcast is excited to welcome our first former NHL player. Today's guest, who was drafted as a defenseman in 1994, played 550 NHL games in total, with the Ottawa Senators, National Predators, Atlanta Thrashers, Anaheim Ducks, Boston Bruins, and the Minnesota Wild. And in 2011, today's guest won the Stanley Cup with the Boston Bruins. After retiring, today's guest turned to broadcasting and is now the color commentator with the Vegas Golden Knights alongside Dave Gosher. And according to Stormy Bonitomi, uh who was on the podcast as well, uh, Stormy says that he is also the prankster of the group. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. Shane Knighty to the show. Shane, thank you so much uh, for coming on the podcast today.
1: Well, thanks for having me. That's uh, a long intro. There's a lot (laughs) of teams involved in that one, I'll tell you that.
0: Yeah, and uh, we'll talk all about it. uh, But before we get into uh, broadcasting in your NHL career, how are you doing during these times and how are you staying busy? I see you're back uh, at City National Arena right now. Uh, So how are phase two going and how have you been keeping busy in total?
1: Well, I think it's been interesting. It's unique times for everyone, as uh, we all know, and, uh, you know, doing your part uh, during the quarantine and as things started to open up a little bit more for me, it's good. As a guy who's traveled between playing and broadcasting my whole life, this is maybe the longest I've (laughs) been home. So it's uh, it's been nice to be with the family and uh, I'm a big workout guy. So I've been able to keep very consistent with that. Uh, And then, yeah, it's nice now to be uh, in the phase two and, uh, you know, guys are starting to do small groups back on the ice. We're starting to look forward if the season will start or if training camp phase three, phase four would be to go into uh little exhibition round robin, play in, and then eventually uh, a 16 team. So, kind of previewing and prepping for, uh, you know, if we can get to that point, which we all hope. So, yeah. uh, you know, there's still lots to do and uh, lots to kind of occupy the time. And also living in Vegas, the weather's pretty good.
0: Yeah. And uh, like you said, when I interviewed, my first interview was with Mike Bolt, who was the keeper of the cup, and yeah. he said, "This is like the longest he's ever been home." Like you just said, because he's always taking the cup everywhere. About your city, National Arena, have you seen any players on the ice yet?
1: I haven't. They they were out. Uh, they're doing the small groups and that. Uh, we're kind of on the you know, one side. They keep it pretty. You know, strictly just for the players right now, obviously uh, a lot of tight restrictions are in order for uh, this to happen. And uh, there's not much, there's no coaches. It's just guys, um, you know, as a forward player, it's just a chance for the guys to get out there, kind of get their timing, get their legs, skating legs back under them. They've already, you know, the majority of all players have kept their conditioning level up, but it's, uh, it's different once you step on the ice. And for them, it's, uh, you know, getting the hands, the feet, everything back in yeah. sync and uh, as prepped as they can here to, to get ready if they can move into phase three
0: and personally how have you been staying busy netflix lots of golf <laughs> sitting at the pool what have you been up to
1: well maybe uh, all of the above but uh, <laughs> certainly i think i've gotten tired of the television uh yeah uh working out has been a big part of it for me i've gotten some golf in uh it's a good way to social distance uh out in the open i haven't been out yeah. very much uh, around and uh either than uh, you know once the offices we have uh of course, we have tight restrictions here, so coming in here a couple days a week, and yeah. you know we've been providing content uh, through the Golden Knights. We've done a lot of stuff, um, whether Twitter, Instagram. Uh, we've done some nights report shows. We've done a lot of stuff remotely, podcasts uh, for SLGND podcasts. So there's there, there's been enough to keep us busy and to keep me occupied. Obviously, I'd rather be uh, calling games. Yeah, uh, but that said, uh, I think uh, you got to find certain ways to to maintain a level of uh, keeping your mind and your body busy during this time.
0: Yeah, and I saw also you and Dave are calling some uh, NHL 20 <laughs> games as well, uh, which must be a little interesting, huh? You
1: know what? It uh, I think in times like this, it gives you the opportunity to kind of, you know, look outside the box and find ways to do different things. It's the first time I've ever called uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, simulated
0: hockey. I never. Uh, you probably never think you'd have to do that. No,
1: right? no. I've, I have called games off monitor, um, real games, not yeah. – uh, not video games, um, yeah. but uh, you know, it, it's fun. It's unique. Our last one was actually, we had the Golden Knights up against the NHL legends. So it was kind of cool uh-huh. to call the names like Gordie Howe and Wayne Gretzky and uh, you know Patrick Wadden, Ed, Guy Lafleur, Jean Bell It was uh, oh, some historic yeah. names throughout. So uh, that made it entertaining for Dave and I to, to do that. And, uh, you know, if it can entertain a certain amount of people, we're more than happy to do it.
0: Yeah, and now before getting into your NHL career, tell me a little bit about uh, your road to the NHL, including the juniors, uh, the draft, and the AHL, and your journey to uh, getting your first NHL game. Certainly.
1: Well, uh, you know, a lot of people from the outside, especially people learning figure you just get drafted and you make the NHL and and you move on from there, but (laughs) that's certainly not the case. Uh, The majority of the people, it's a long road. For me, I grew up in a small town in uh, Manitoba, Canada, a town called Nipah a population of about 3,500, so it's yeah. straight wow. north, I guess everybody knows where Minneapolis is, so it's about eight yeah. hours north of there, uh, I grew up playing hockey, having a, all sports, but hockey certainly took over at a, an age, and then I moved on to the Western Hockey League of the Canadian Hockey League, junior ranks, and played in Swift Current and Prince Albert there. Uh, I spent five years, I was drafted, as you mentioned, in the opening by the Buffalo Sabres, although they never uh, retained my rights. I became a free agent oh. at 20. Uh, and at that time, I finished my junior career. I went to Chicago Blackhawks camp, uh, I got sent home. And at that point, I was contemplating going to university hockey in Canada, but got a call to go play in the East Coast Hockey League in Baton Rouge. Uh, the head coach there was Pierre Maguire, who's uh, you know, yeah. a big analyst now, was a head coach before, and. I spent a couple months there before getting called up to the American Hockey League in St. John. Uh, and then I moved to the IHL the next year in Grand Rapids, which was eventually led to my first trip to Vegas playing a the Old Thunder uh, at Thomas Mack uh, in 97. And I had a good year there and then was signed by the Detroit Red Wings in their organization for a couple of years. And then my rights were traded to the Ottawa Senators Uh, in uh, I think it was the summer of 2000 and I was fortunate to make the team there and start uh, my NHL career which for a Canadian boy in a Canadian city was a pretty special thing uh, to play for the Ottawa
0: Senators which we had some uh, some special teams there in my four years. And I think it's important what you said that like the first three four picks in the in the draft you know you think of them getting to the NHL and a lot of people don't think about the journey, it t- takes a lot of people. And obviously you had to go through a lot in the juniors to actually get the, that chance in Ottawa. Um, from that experience, what exactly did you learn about pers- perseverance, uh, getting caught and going from team to team? What is your message to me as a 16-year-old, but also to all of the listeners about perseverance and how to keep going, not just in hockey or sports, but in life in general?
1: Oh, yeah, that's an excellent point, Zach. I think it's key for someone... Uh, to believe in your dream. You're going to have obstacles. You're going to have hurdles. You're going to have people that try to drag you down, but it's, it's what you believe in yourself. And you have to have that cer- certain work ethic a- and desire to, 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 to live to your dream. And nothing's easy. I mean, you, you've got to work for it. And I think you know something at times, it, it built me stronger as a person. Every time I got knocked down, I learned how to handle it and actually ended up utilizing it as motivation to To be better in a lot of those circumstances, whereas it pushed me harder to prove people wrong, because uh, there came a point where, eventually, uh, you get somebody that has belief in you, and that gives you the confidence to move forward, and it allows you really to focus in. I, uh, you know, there's, I think, when I look back, it it it's all steps you take, uh, and and you're right. It's not only for hockey; it's for anything in life where you mm-hmm. can. Uh, you know, whether you educate yourself, I used to read a lot of self-motivation books, quotes, uh, I used to keep things, anything I could to make myself not only physically, but mentally stronger to, uh, to achieve my ultimate goal. And, uh, you know, it wasn't a smooth path, but as I look back now, as, uh, as I'm older, uh, I realize it, it was a more beneficial path for me just in life. The, the lessons I learned, uh, the things I known, I've been able to accomplish and overcome uh, have really benefited me throughout my whole life, and I think uh, you know the, the fact of being able to stick with it and, and not you know coming off that dream of, of reaching the ultimate goal of the NHL and you know and even not making the NHL, even if I would have stayed the American just to, what I had to push myself uh-huh. to do to to get to that level, which is, is hard enough in itself, whether it 's you know the American hockey, the international to play at that level of hockey uh, is, is extremely high, but then eventually the NHL is, you know, to get there, but just so many lessons that, you know, hockey career is short, but life lessons stick with you forever. And I think those are the important ones that I really take away from it.
0: Mm -hmm. And once you went through all that perseverance and you kept on pushing, like you said, you finally got that first NHL game. Does it still (laughs) seem like, like yesterday, you still remember that game? Um, after all your hard work, what were you feeling, uh, when you did that rookie lap around the ice and it was your first game. Nerves. Were you a little ner- I, nervous. Yeah. I think yeah.
1: everybody does. I think my first shift, I felt like Bambi out there, uh, on ice. <laughs> it was uh, wobbly legs and, uh, uh, you know what it, it is an experience I'll never forget. It was it, and kind of funny as uh, my first game was on the ice where I spent, I left the ice for the last time it was, I was playing for autumn. My first game was in Boston uh so i played against the team uh wearing the first nhl jersey in a first nhl game and the last time i was ever on the ice in an nhl jersey was raising the banner in boston after i retired mm-hmm. so uh it's kind of neat how it worked out but yeah i certainly remember that game it was a last minute thing uh i believe a guy named sammy salo defenseman got sick the morning up i was the seventh guy and i got the call in the morning that i would be playing and uh uh you know you think of all the people that helped you. I remember that thinking of all the people that got me to this point and people that I knew back in Canada, Manitoba racing to a television that night to watch the game. And uh, you know what? And then nerves are there, but once you got into the game, instincts kick in uh, and you just, you go play. It's the game you've been playing your whole life and uh, you you try and take it all in. And I I certainly do. And uh, I remember it very well. I don't remember a lot of things, but I remember that first game.
0: And now your whole experience in the NHL after going, like you said, uh, after the introduction, lots of teams, what was your most memorable moment besides 2011 on that cup run?
1: Oh, besides 2011.
0: Yeah. We'll, we'll tough get to that to in a second.
1: Nail, I know it's tough to nail it down because there's so many great experiences. And I think, you know, you played for different teams and each team, you know, was unique in a way I think, Ottawa was special to me, being my first NHL stop, and uh, we had we won the President's Trophy my second year in the league. Um, uh, Atlanta, I played there. We were the only team there to win the Southeast Division when I played, and that was a a real close knit group of guys that uh, I had a lot of fun with. Boston probably was, and I did two tours there. It was just uh, yeah. It was, and, and Nashville, I had a brief stint there, and it was it was special. It was one of my favorite moments actually there because it was right before the 405 lockout. I got traded there, and it was the first time that franchise made playoffs. So I got to be part per yeah. their first uh, their inaugural playoff uh, performance against the Detroit Red Wings. So the, you know, the, the, each stop kind of brought something unique, and uh, ultimately Boston ended up bringing uh, the peak of it all, winning the Stanley Cup.
0: Yeah, and how was it uh, winning the cup? I know, and tell me about your day with the cup as well. I had mine, uh, but I didn't have to go through all you went through, uh, obviously. Uh, but tell me what you did with your day with the cup. Uh, did you take it home? Uh, what was it winning in hoisting the cup on that ice?
1: Well, I think it's hard to explain all the emotions from all the years. And as I mentioned all the the things you overcome to finally reach the pinnacle of, of your dream of winning that Stanley cup that you've had since were five, you know, it was something growing up, we played, uh, you know, road hockey, ball hockey, and it was always for the Stanley cup and to, to finally actually uh, have that reality is, and, and to share it with your family. And uh, you know, that night with the players and it was a, uh, the closest group of guys I've ever been with was that Boston 2011 team and still close to this day. But, yeah, it was, it was, it was beyond special. And then that day with the cup would, is exactly the same. I uh, you know I had the opportunity to, we flew into Winnipeg and then we, uh, we drove it to my hometown in Nipua. Uh, we did, uh, my parents, we had close friends and family there with the cop celebrating. Then I did pictures and I think there was 1500 people lined up at the old arena in my small town. And we did so like uh, half
0: of the population, half in the, the
1: population. It was, it was impressive. So I saw, I think I signed for five hours and did pictures. And then afterwards we held a, a big party, uh, with, uh, and then giving back, uh, raised a bunch of money for the arena. Uh, which was fun. And then uh, afterwards, I got, I got a little more uh, private party back uh, uh-huh. again in my uh, yeah. in my parents' house, in my dad's garage, which he keeps as clean as anybody's living room. So uh, it was a special, very special day that uh, I will absolutely never forget, nor were uh, my, my close friends uh, uh, still talk about it. We actually haven't talked to them in a while. and We did a Zoom call about uh, four or five days ago, so it was neat. And they still bring up that day, and uh, it's one you'll never forget.
0: And it's remarkable after everything you've gone through and all the years it took for you to get that cup finally. It must have felt amazing. I mean, you told me the nerves of for the NHL game, for your first game and how that was so accomplishing. Now going to all the top that every NHL player or any hockey player growing up dreams of, that must be amazing. And where's your ring right now? You still have it, uh, keeping it safe? I
1: am keeping it safe. It's in a very safe spot. It's in a safe (laughs) <laughs> uh, but I have it, and it is. It's uh, you know. I think at times you forget about it, but it's always good to refresh to look at that ring and to you know. And it, and it's not only a symbol of me reaching my goal. It's a it's a sacrifice not only of my own, but of you know my parents, uh, my wife, my children, my brother, everybody, coaches that I had yeah. through a minor hockey, uh, minor leagues, uh, everywhere. Anyone that had a hand, you know, in helping me make it to that level. It, it, it's kind of a symbol of that. So it's, to me, it's a symbol of sacrifice of, of not only me, but uh, so many people.
0: Yeah. And now you said that your the team in Boston, especially that 2011 year uh, was very tight knit. And a lot of people talk about the Boston Bruins today as well. Uh, a lot of people look at Char as uh, a, an amazing captain. People say uh, that what he does in that locker room is great. And then you also have, uh, I mean, if you're, you, lo- you live in Boston, you're the Boston Bruins fan, you love Marshawn. Uh, but if, if you're Tampa or Toronto, you don't really like them. So uh, tell me about experiences with them and how Char was as a captain and inside Marshawn as well, because I guess uh, how you see him on the ice uh, with other players is probably not what you see uh, in the locker room and behind the scenes
1: yeah that's true maybe i'll start with brad because uh marshy he was he was a young player when i was there and i've been able to watch him he's become uh, you know an, an elite nhl star and he really yeah. has and i think i think back to him and everybody looks at what he does and he takes over the line and i don't agree with uh when he does it but he's a guy who has to play on the edge i think. Mm-hmm. Because of his size that that chip on his shoulder whatever you want to call it is what drives him to excel it really is he that part of his game drives the skill side and, and that's what makes him good at times it's too much and i think i think he's kind of pulled back a bit uh okay. and he's a guy you love to have on your team because yeah he, of course that's an advantage for you you, you hate to play against him he, and he's a yeah. tough guy to cover i remember practice because he gets so low and he's, it's hard to hit he's He's skilled, he's shifty, he, he's, he's agile, um, but he was, and he's confident. He came in, and, and he had a ton of confidence. I think everybody can see that in the way he plays and the way he carries yeah. himself. Uh, I'm a big fan of him. Uh, I know him very well, and, and I've watched him grow. Yeah. And, and I think he has grown. I think he'll continue to grow certain parts of his game, but uh, when it comes to strictly looking at the player, he is tremendous. Uh, I think yeah. he's among the league's best for wingers uh what he can do he can play all situations a great penalty killer power play regular shift that line is scary with bergeron and knock yeah uh best line in the league and then char is a a completely different story and i played with char at ottawa too so i've known zidano a long time and i've watched him grow he's always been the ultimate competitor and he has an extreme discipline to make himself better to make himself what is going to be he's going to be a hall of fame defenseman
0: Yeah.
1: he had a drive, unlike any other competitor I've played with, uh, on the ice, off the ice, the professionalism, which he carried himself. And, you know, I saw him in Ottawa continue to grow. There was, it, just like all of us, he, he continued to grow as a pro. We had great leaders there. And when he went to Boston, uh, the first stint, you could see he was a captain, and uh, that was the first time we made playoffs. It was at 08, uh, 08, 09. And... He, you know, had really taken his leadership up there because he had bad teams, and now there are good teams and how to handle it. And by 2011, you know, he'd really grown into that leadership role. And, and certainly now in 2020, as he's still going, just a year okay. younger than me, uh, uh, you see his professionalism the way uh, – again, and he's grown. He continues. Yeah. You continue to learn. I think the time, you, you know, as a player, professional, athlete, or anybody, when you, you stop, you re- – if you stop refusing to learn and to have growth in yourself personally, it's, it's not beneficial. And I think the guys that can last are the guys that continue to get better and uh, work on areas of game. Nobody works harder on every part of his game than, than Chara. And uh, I think that's why he's so special.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. And not only did you play with Chara and Marshawn, you played with a, a number of great other players, uh, but every player has another side to them that fans don't see. Uh, in the locker rooms, who is the funniest player you've played with, and what's the funniest story or prank uh, that you can say?
1: Oh boy, I played with, if if you have a, a few, lot of you characters. can share. Yeah, a lot of characters. Eric Bolton was a funny guy I played with in Atlanta. Um, you know, in, in Ottawa, Andre Wa, which I think guys who played. Throughout the league with him, when he won the cup with Tampa, you ask Le Cavalier, Saint Louis, they'll say Andre Waugh was one of the funniest guys. He was he was always entertaining in the room. He had certain things. As for pranks, I think everybody pulls you know you, the ones you hear about. The one the one that really stands out in my mind is Aaron Ward did one to Mark Savard. Savard was one of those meticulous players. He parked his car a certain way. He taped his sticks yeah. and everything. And when we were in Boston, he used to back in first guy at the rink. He always backed in so he could go out to his door right into the back of the practice facility. Well, on his passenger side, Aaron Ward bought all those like wrap. And he had a whole bunch of stuff that said, Mark Savard, number one, I'm the best. He had pictures and he did his whole passenger side because Mark never did it. He went in and right back into his driver's side and he drove down, down the highway there uh, from Wilmington, uh, Mass to uh, downtown Boston uh, one day, and people were honking at him. And I thought that was a pretty creative one. That takes a lot of work to do (laughs) something like that. But uh, that's a prank that really sticks out.
0: That's funny. And uh, now, uh, after all of everything you've done in the NHL, uh, how did you decide that you wanted to go to broadcasting? And how different is it I know you still have the traveling aspect and going from arena to arena, but how hard was it for you to flip that switch and now go to broadcasting?
1: Uh, It's interesting because I think as a player, you know, not every player really has a plan for after you think you can play hockey forever, but that's not reality. And uh, you know, when I was actually the day I had the cup, I got a call, the Winnipeg Jets had just relocated from Atlanta back to Winnipeg. uh, And I got a call at that time from TSN radio about uh, interest in the job. I hadn't officially quit playing or retired from playing. And uh, I went in for the meeting afterwards and uh, I felt this was uh, a real good opportunity to stay in the game and to, and a challenge that I looked forward to. And uh, you know, I kind of hit the ground running. They gave me a mic. And it's one of those things that uh, really clicked for me. I thought early on, obviously there's a, there's a lot of preparation and there was a lot of learning. Um, but I loved, I got, got into covering the radio, I got to cover the, you know, the return of the Winnipeg Jets 2.0 to my home province, be part of that organization working for TSN. And, uh, I loved doing radio. And then I got an opportunity to uh, do a TV game. And that's when I really, I remember coming home after that and saying, now I know what I want to do. I wanted to be a TV yeah. analyst and, uh, I worked at it and, and it, uh, it became, it, it became a great, as I said, I had the Best job ever in playing, but this is a pretty close second at uh, being able to stay in the game that's been my whole life uh, at the NHL level and, and call games and uh, continue to evolve, continue to learn. Um, Winnipeg, I love being there Just uh, and working for TSN, which was, was great. Not only covering the Winnipeg Jets, I got to cover World Juniors, I covered World Championships. Uh, you know, all those things just uh, grow your resume and, and and help you in growth as a, as a broadcaster. So, uh, all that led to the opportunity. And when the team came here to Vegas, I thought it'd be, it be—it was a special uh, chance to maybe be part of something from the ground floor up and to not only uh, call games, but to see uh, grassroots hockey grow in a new market.
0: Yeah, and it's kind of interesting because you started uh, with the Winnipeg Jets uh, when they started. I mean, obviously, they weren't a new team as an expansion, uh, but it was still kind of new because of the relocation and then you got to come to Vegas, Uh, so you had a little bit of that experience uh, coming in right away with knowing how, with the new expectations and the relocation, Um, but how has your whole experience been in Vegas? Obviously, covering that first year must have been amazing, and why did you choose Vegas? Was it because of this expansion, or were there other places that uh, you could have gone as well?
1: No, this was the only place I wanted to go. I'll answer the last one first. Uh, I just had a belief, Vegas, the entertainment capital, and uh, the chance to bring uh, pro hockey here and be the first pro sports team was something I wanted to be part of. I can't uh, – and I felt it would be – and I felt it would work. I felt they would embrace the game. Uh, I'm not going to give myself too much credit. I did not think year one would happen as it <laughs> yeah. did. Um, but everything and told me it was it was an opportunity I just couldn't – uh and miss on you know throwing my hat in the ring and you know fortunate enough to get the opportunity to get the job and then uh love vegas i loved living here i don't i i came here uh, just about every summer during when i played for a quick trip but i always loved the area um but yeah that for and then you talk about the first year it's uh you know still looking back it to me it's it was a historic season and you know i don't know i don't believe we'll ever see another inaugural franchise do what the golden knights did uh it was special so special uh in the way those guys came together i'm a big believer in team unity and uh, that's you know team over individual anytime and that was no better example than what those guys were able to do a group of guys with a common goal with a uh, a purpose to to prove people wrong uh, yeah. and, and their motivation was, and, and then being embraced by Vegas as the way where they were yeah. and, and to see these people become diehard, passionate fans. And, you know, there was some hockey fans here that switched to the gold nights. There was some new fans just all around and how it, uh, you know, became such a big part of the fabric of Vegas is just, and how Vegas became so important to the golden Knights. It was just a, it was a great unity. And, uh, you know, I always say next to it in the Stanley cup, that's the greatest season I've ever yeah. been a part of.
0: And you sit next to Dave, uh, all the time <laughs> when you're covering the games. Um, and he told me that he knew you when uh, he was covering Boston as well. Uh, was that a cherry on top, a little bit of more comfort when you were coming into this? Uh, was it, was that part of the deal that made it a little better as well or did you not know? We and did it not know. Happened. Oh, it just yeah, we, happened.
1: It, we did not know, but it was certainly kind of, as you said a cherry on top to to kind of know someone when you come in, because yeah. uh, you know, a lot of people don't know, just like you, you talk, we talk on the ice, the chemistry is so important between whether yeah. it's defense partners or a forward line. It, it's just the same in a broadcast booth, be able to have that chemistry with someone and, uh, you know, it, it was it was kind of funny. Dave and I are, are very close friends. Uh, we've become very close since this job, but and it was instantaneous. It really was. The first game we covered, I believe, is Vancouver in the preseason, and we're like, okay, let's see how this goes because timing's so important. When I can jump in, he's calling the play. When I can jump in with an analyst uh, of a certain play, and after that game, we just kind of looked at each other and said. Well, that worked mm-hmm. um, because you, yeah. you, you know at times usually you work someone new. You might step on them, or uh, you know, verbally that is, uh, yeah. <laughs> not physically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although at times I want to step on Dave, uh, <laughs> but and uh, from that first game on, we just it it just clicked and uh, yeah. it really formed a good partnership for us uh, in the booth. And and we both love what we do. We both we both are big believers in having fun. Uh, we, we, we have a lot of laughs together, but at the same time, we when it comes to game time, we're we're focused on what we have to do. We both prepare, and, and we want to provide the best coverage we can here for the Golden Knights fans.
0: Yeah, and I agree that uh, is the chemistry is so important on and off the ice, especially with the broadcasting. I've heard about the Nashville, uh, when you got uh, Dave's gig in uh, Nashville, uh, but you know that I'm about to ask this because of the introduction I made I've talked to other members of the broadcast team and Stormy especially uh, said that you're quite the prankster. She told me about uh, the napkin prank uh, when you put it in the, in the pockets, in the hood, uh, in Buffalo. She made me, she really wanted me to ask you about how she got you back. And she wanted all of the listeners uh, to hear how she got you back. Uh, so can you share that for us?
1: I Certainly I can. I I give Stormy credit. It took her a long time, but I would never put the amount of work she did into a prank. Minor, minor little subtle ones here and there. They're they're more consistent. See, I'm able to pull off a hundred where in the time it took her to do one, she, uh, during the holidays, the holiday season, she wrapped all of Dave and I's desk chair, computers, pens, everything, everything everything around our desk. And I think she said it took her like two and a half hours uh and it was a great prank it was i had a good chuckle at it we came in everything was wrapped up and that's a lot of work for a prank sushi so but it took her a while but she got over it she was she was the new one on the on the crew this yeah. year so I, I gave her a david i'd give her a hard time just little subtle pranks i i I not only her. Gary's, uh, Gary's a victim of mine. Yeah. Uh, Dave will get it every now and then, uh, anyone that travels Dan, do, I don't do so much, yeah. uh, but anybody around it's, it's always fun. Uh, you know, especially if they leave a phone at the table when we're having dinner or, you know, just give them a little, I love to give them moment, moments of panic
0: <laughs> and keep them on their toes a little bit. That's right. Would you say Stormy's, uh, payback prank was more, uh, than, than the car sticker prank on Savard?
1: Oh, well, the car sticker one probably probably a little more uh, vicious, <laughs> yeah. In a sense, uh, Stormers was a was a good-natured one, and uh, it, it was well well thought out. It's a well planned prank to be able to do that. But uh, no, but none of us have reached your level of uh, Mark Andre Fleury status yet for <laughs> yeah. that category.
0: I think you got to learn from him a little bit more, no? Yes. Yeah. Exactly. But would would you say that the one in Buffalo was your best one, or or what has been your best? Not just in the broadcasting, but Oh. I'm sure you did something in, on the team as well. Yeah, I want to play. The big
1: thing was we used to uh, – if you could get a, a key card to somebody's room and, and get in there and, and move their mattresses and everything to the bathroom, and they'd go in and they'd have an empty room, that was a big one. I still take I, – I don't go into people's rooms now, but I, I tend to try and get uh, – if we get in late, I like to get up to my room, and I may or may not grab a couple of guys – keys that are laid out so then they they don't have them uh but uh yeah they they always seem to blame me and it's not always me sometimes somebody else will do it but uh i I get the brunt of the blame
0: and so who would who would be uh like if someone else pranks and you always get blamed for it who would be the second person you think would do it if it wasn't you dave dave He, he didn't play it off like that i i asked him and he's like uh probably the best prank was uh well, it's not a prank, but it was it was the national gig. So I guess he didn't really speak about that. But uh, next time I speak to him, maybe I'll i will ask him about it.
1: The national gig wasn't – he, he wanted yeah. to get up there.
0: That's what Stormy told me too, yeah. Yeah, he wanted to be up there. Yeah. Uh, well, Shane, thank you uh, so much for coming on. Do you have uh, anything else to add?
1: No, just thanks for having me, man. That was great. You did a great job. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you very much Uh, you did your homework you're able to nail down all the teams and uh, yeah my pleasure
0: thank you uh, so much and uh, stay healthy stay safe and hopefully uh, you'll be back to covering some games uh, games very shortly Uh, and if you can't do them this year because it's national then hopefully next year uh, and when you guys are in Columbus uh, I'd be glad to see you
1: awesome thank you very
0: much buddy thanks I hope you enjoyed that great interview with Shane Knighty. Shane, thank you so much uh, for coming on once again. And um, I hope you enjoyed coming on. And I hope the listeners, you guys enjoyed uh, listening to that great interview. Um, But without further ado, let's get into some NHL news. Um, On the 24th of June, the NHL and the Hockey Hall of Fame announced the 2020 Hall of Fame inductees. Now, it's a little different this year. Usually, all of the 18 members who induct players and the builders, um, they do it in person. But this time, it was done via Zoom, and only a few members uh, were there to help select in person. Um, But anyways, let's get into those uh, inductees. In 2020, we have Ken Holland, who uh, was inducted as a builder from the builder category. Ah, uh, usually there's either referees, builders who help build the game of hockey, and then players. Uh, so Ken Holland, uh, who is a the general manager uh, for the Edmonton Oilers, uh, he has been inducted, um, and he is a great general manager, and he really has been in the league for such a long time, and he really has has helped uh, build the league. So congratulations to him. Um, that's a great pick. Uh, the next one is Marion Hossa. This is his first year to be eligible. Uh, to be playing uh, to be in the Hall of Fame and he played 1,309 NHL games uh, with a total of 1,134 points. Uh, so that is just tells you how great of a player he is. Uh, so many points, uh, 525 goals, 609 assists. Um, so and he won a lot of things and He's a great player and well deserved and really well deserved to get it in the first year that he is eligible. Uh the second player that got in the first year he's eligible is Jerome Ginlaw. Um he is another great player um and he played 1554 games with 1300 points. Uh really really great as well. He played more games than Marion Jose, got more points. Uh but depends uh how many games you play uh he got 625 goals and 675 assists um so congratulations to him really well deserved he's also a great player now um people were interested in maybe Daniel Alfredson uh finally deserves it or some other players uh deserve deserve the picks um but this year they decide to go um the route of some players that haven't gotten in a while and maybe deserve it. Um so Kevin Lowe. Um he played from nineteen eighty to nineteen ninety-eight, so he's been eligible for a while now. Um he played one thousand two hundred and fifty-four games and four hundred and thirty-one um points. Uh, so at that time, really great player, um deserving of that Pick and I mean, he's been waiting a while for it, so it's a great surprise for him uh, to finally get the call to the hall. Uh, The next one is a female player named Kim St. Pierre. Uh, She's a goalie, Uh, she used to be a goalie for Team Canada. Um, She is a fantastic female player, one of the best uh, of female players, so well deserved to her. She's also retired now, so congratulations to her. And the final pick on the abductees is Doug Wilson. Uh, He also, he finished playing in 1993, uh, so he's been eligible for a while, too. Uh, He played 1,024 games uh, with a total of 827 uh, points, so also another great player. Um, Another surprise uh, that he probably didn't expect on the 24th to get a call from the Hockey Hall of Fame, Uh, so congratulations to him as well. Now we're going to get into... The most interesting news um, over the past few weeks, I have talked about the NHL draft lottery. It didn't make a ton of sense uh, to a lot of people, um, but to break it down, just like every draft lottery for the past uh, few years, there's going to be 15 teams and the same amount of odds. What's different this year is that it is going to be um, – seven teams we know and seven teams will be a team a team b team c team d uh and continue on uh those will be eight teams and seven teams we know the seven teams that we know uh have the best seven odds um and we watched the draft lottery and right away Bill Daly had the cards and he said because I'm starting it at I'm counting down the draft lottery from 8 instead of 7. That means automatically that one of those placeholder teams, which is teams A uh, through H, I'm pretty sure, uh, those are letter value names, those are unknown names, and we'll know those later on uh, after the NHL qualifying round. Um, so we knew a placeholder team, uh, loser of the qualifying round, automatically going to get a top three pick. Um, made us wondering for the rest of the time. Um, But the draft lottery uh, went pretty similar to what a lot of people thought. Besides Detroit, who only won 17 games this season, they sadly did not get even a top three pick at all. Um, So that is devastating for them. They now have pick four. Um, I mean, they had such a rough season. They were hoping, hoping, hoping for Leffinier, Uh, but they're not going to get that. And I feel bad for those fans. Um, now, the Ottawa Senators, they had uh, almost a 25% chance of getting the first round pick because they had two picks. They had one, which was their themselves, and one of San Jose's uh, first round overall pick as well. Uh, so they had combined a 25% chance. They were really likely to get the first round pick and the first overall pick, uh, but they didn't get it. Uh, they got pick three and five, uh, which, I mean, I wouldn't be happy if I was a sense fan, but the general manager said that they're happy. They're going to get some great players uh, for pick three and five. I I think they will, um, but obviously it's not gear in the top uh, few picks, Um so I just told you that pick number three was the Ottawa Senators. Um, moving up a lot was the LA Kings with pick number two. Uh, they moved up a lot. They're definitely happy. Uh, yes, they didn't get the number one pick, um, but they got the second pick in the draft. They're going to get a great player on um, that pick, and they definitely moved up. Uh, so their fan base must be ecstatic. Um, but now uh, we have to tell you who got the first overall pick. And who's going to pick uh Lefaniere in the NHL draft? And the answer to that is we still do not know. Um, a placeholder team, which was Team E, won the draft lottery. They got pick number one. This has never happened before. Uh, obviously, we've never had placeholder teams. But it's never happened that a team uh, that is not in the bottom seven of the league has won the draft lottery. They moved up 11 spots. And even though that team is not valued, uh, that is the first time in any draft that a team has moved up that much. It's incredible uh, that it had to happen in this year. Uh, But of course it happened in 2020 because weird things have been happening in 2020 anyways. Uh, But right now, um, that is Team E. They had a 2.5% chance. Of winning the draft lottery and they did there's a thousand combinations in the lottery Uh, when they do the ping-pong balls team E had 25 and they won uh, which is incredible and so now Levenier he was hoping he was gonna know uh, who's gonna pick him uh, but he's gonna have to wait until the qualifying round uh, until the end of the qualifying round we will have phase two and a lot of people are saying, oh, it's not fair. Um, a good team that's going to be in the playoffs is going to get this pick. And that is not accurate um, because the 2014 play-in format is not the playoffs. That is a qualifying round. So if you do not win your qualifying round, you did not make the playoffs. Uh, so the losers of the qualifying rounds, uh, they are going to go into a lottery they're going to have one and eighth percent chance of winning. Uh, so that's a 12.5% chance. They're all going to have equal opportunity. And the losers, they're just going to go put some ping pong, ping pong balls in. And whoever gets it gets the first overall pick. Uh, so, I mean, if you're a fan of uh, a team that's in the qualifying round, I don't know if I'd be so mad if you lost because if you have a chance, a one. Uh, and a chance to get the first overall pick and take Lafanera, it's not a bad day. Uh, so uh, it's really exciting. Uh, it makes the qualifying round that much more interesting um, because now you're wondering oh, uh, will some teams lose on purpose? Uh, at, at, just there's a lot at stake. And let me just tell you if um, the 24 team format never happened and it was a regular playoffs and this happened, the Winnipeg Jets would have got first overall. They would have been in the spot of Team E. Now, what happens if, sadly, play doesn't come to back and the 24-team format doesn't resume? uh, What will happen is they will just take uh, the teams, the bottom teams, uh, the bottom eight besides uh, the bottom seven. Um, They'll take those in point percentage and all give them an equal amount of chance uh, to win the first overall pick, but hopefully that doesn't happen. Um, I know it's a lot to comprehend, but it is just crazy that it happened. Uh, like I said, of course it happened in 2020. Um, but it's the biggest time it's ever (laughs) moved in. And now Lafreniere is going to wait for a while. The NHL was doing this draft lottery to give hype to the teams that were going to win the lottery, um, because they're not going to be playing for a while. It did the exact opposite because no one of no one won the first overall that we know of right now, uh, and those are the twenty-four teams. Uh, sixteen teams uh, are able to get that pick. Um, whoever loses in those sixteen uh, playing rounds, uh, they will drop out, and then eight teams will be able to do it. Um, now let's talk about return to play. Um, the NHL last week released some records about uh, COVID-19 testing. Uh, When I am recording this, uh, they have not yet. And uh, with the Hub City scenario, um, we were supposed to get news from the NHL this week. Uh, It was supposed to be Vegas and Vancouver. However, there were talks with the NHL and local authorities Uh, local health authorities in Vancouver and they did not go well and the public health authorities said that it wasn't safe for them to do it in Vancouver so Vancouver removed themselves from the picture Uh, so there's still five teams Uh, according to Pierre Lebrun of The Athletic and TSN it is going to still be Vegas uh, but they are now looking at Edmonton and Toronto and it seems like Toronto may have a slight edge over Edmonton uh, but it's still mostly uh, a 60-40% chance of which team is going to get it. Um, Make sure to follow us on social media uh, to make sure you get the news as soon as it's released, uh, and we'll make sure we talk about it next week. Hopefully uh, we'll know where the cities are next week because July 10th of the training camps, which are supposed to start then, is coming up very shortly. Anyways, that is all we have uh, for the NHL News. I hope you enjoyed that great interview with Shane Knighty and uh, enjoyed listening uh, to the NHL news and the crazy draft lottery. I hope you watched it yourself uh, to witness that craziness uh, like I did uh, because I was freaking out a little bit uh, because it was really crazy. Um, I can't believe that this is the 10th week and 10th episode. Um, I know that in the future, uh, we have some great interviews coming up. Uh, Make sure to... Uh, send us a message on social media or on our website, anchor.fm slash QuarantineHockeyHQ. If you have any recommendations or connections uh, for interviews or if you're interested in advertising on our podcast. Uh, like I said in our news segment, news happens all the time. Uh, and for updates on our podcast and NHL news, make sure you follow us on social media, Facebook and Instagram at quarantine hockey hq and on twitter at hockey hq podcast you can listen to us on any platform uh, link linktr.ee slash quarantine hockey hq uh, if we're not on your regular listening platform please let us know on our website or on our social media and we'll work hard uh, to get it on your favorite podcast platform uh, if you're just this is your first episode of the Quarantine Hockey HQ podcast. Welcome to the Quarantine Hockey HQ family, and we hope that you listen to our past interviews. Um, anyways, everyone, my name is Zach Rodier. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week. Thanks.